this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I'm going to let you in on a little secret that I've never even told the churches and the pastors that I preach for in times past. I have prayed this chapter over so many churches across America and other countries as well. Because what you're getting here tonight is not only a picture of the kingdom of God that's to come, but you're getting a picture of the will of God for right now and how we can prepare for that. And I've often prayed over the different churches and places I've spoken at through the years is that, God, you will let this church be a place where people will gather and say, come, let us hear what the Lord has to say. Come, let us know the Lord. Let people be gravitating to you so that they'll want to come with you to church. And this is just a, a powerful example, and it's a wonderful chapter. And I can promise you right now, we're not going to get through the whole chapter this evening. So this will be a two-part, maybe even three-part message tonight. But the first thing I'd like you to see this evening is that God dwells with those who love the elderly and the children. God dwells with those who love the elderly and the children. You know, one of the great things in mine and Becky's ministry through the years is how many kids that God has allowed us to have influence in their life and to love them and pray with them. I've been at the, the uh, district council. We now call it the network council, in case anybody's watching that uh, knows that the change. But been at our church's district council this week, and I was reminded of this when a man came up to me and said, are you Dennis Clanton? And I go, yes. He says, I have heard about you for so many years. And he had been talking to an elderly man that knew me and had told him about the story. He said, I've just moved to Michigan. And he told me I needed to look you up. And uh, so that's how I got to know it. But the man he was talking about loved young people. He loved kids. And he loved me as a young person and just had a lot of influence into my life as well. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, I am returning. Now notice, it says, the Lord says, I am returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. Now, now think about this. Now remember, Jesus quoted from the book of Zechariah more than any other New Old Testament book. Secondly, we know that God is everywhere. So what does he mean, since he's everywhere, since he's omnipresent, what does he mean when he says he's going to dwell with those? This is not just the kingdom to come, the millennial kingdom, but God dwells with people who love the children and the elderly. So it really makes me stop and ask myself, is God comfortable dwelling in my heart? Does God really want to dwell? Is my heart the kind of place the Lord wants to dwell? You know, I often tell you that children will come back to a place where they feel happy, where they feel loved, where they feel welcomed. And our lives and our hearts need to be the kind of place that we love what God loves. Notice this, the elderly are walking and sitting in the city. Now, that's a huge statement for those of us that live in the metro Detroit area. Because how a society treats their children and how a society treats their elderly tells you how godly that society is. It tells you how close to the Lord that society is. That's what I think made the early church so powerful when they went into the Roman society is because they turned that world upside down because Rome didn't care about the elderly, nor did they care about any of the sick children, but the church loved them. Notice what the Bible says. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares. 
Now, I know this is not heaven because the Bible says we're going to be walking in the streets with our canes, okay? And I don't think this has to do with people my age. I'm 66 years old because I've still got a lot of energy and I don't need a cane tonight. I think this has to do with the elderly, you know? These are people that they have lived, they have served the Lord, they've worked for the Lord. Uh, these aren't people that, like you and me, we have the opportunity to continue to do ministry in life and continue to serve the God, serve God with our physical strength. But these are probably the people like David Wilkerson used to describe, the grandmas and grandmas who couldn't get out of their, their wheelchairs or their rocking chairs, but yet they were storming the gates of heaven, praying for our young people and praying for revival. And I can remember when David used to just cry out for grandparents that would grab hold of the altar and seek God. But these people are able to walk in the streets and they're able to, to sit in the city squares. And it's because it's a safe kingdom. When Jesus comes back, that millennial kingdom is going to be a safe kingdom. Detroit will be a safe place for the elderly to sit and to talk. It will be a safe place for children. And when you think about this, nobody is looking at the elderly as a burden on society. Nobody's complaining about their pension checks or their social security checks. Nobody's looking at them and saying they're costing us in health care. In other words, they value the elderly that lives among them. Now, when I look at this and I go, they're this safe? Then it makes me wonder this question. What's the millennial kingdom going to be like when there's no need for law enforcement? When there's no need for all of the things that tax our society, cost our society right now, like violent crime, like all the things that we deal with and see on a daily occasion here in the metro Detroit area, what's it going to be like? And then what would it be like? Now, just imagine, what would it be like if revival swept America? Dr. David Bluplessy said one time, and I was listening to him in Montgomery, Alabama. I was over there for a meeting with him. And he said, we pray for revival. But he says, do you realize what revival would cost? He says, if revival swept America, there would be no more sin tax. There would be no more alcohol tax. There would be no more uh, tobacco tax. There would be no more gambling proceeds. He said, we'd have to learn how to redo our economy. Well, in the millennial kingdom, there won't be any of that. There's an old Chinese proverb that says this. If you have an old person at home, it's as if you have a restored piece of treasure. Now think about that illustration. If you have an old person at home, it's as if you have a restored piece of treasure. Do you know what that's saying? It's not saying that we don't, you know, sometimes need 24-hour nursing care. But in our society, where oftentimes we want to put our elderly aside and forget about them, in this kingdom, the elderly are going to be valued. In the millennial kingdom, they're going to be loved. And I think we will catch hold of what the Chinese have always valued, and that is they value their elderly. The second thing is, look at the children. They're playing in the city. Now, maybe that's a, maybe that's a mistake. Maybe this should say the children are praying in the city. But it's not a mistake because the Hebrew word there for laugh, excuse me, the Hebrew word for laugh is the word for play right there. The children are laughing and playing in the city. And look where they're, they're also in the city streets. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. I, 
I think those elderly people are actually sitting out there and they're enjoying watching the children play. They're not griping about the noise the kids are making. They're not griping about the mess the kids are making. They're not complaining. As a matter of fact, think about this. This is not a gated community where you have to be 60 years or older to live and no kids are welcome. You know, this is a community where children are, and I'm not taking a shot because we've got several gated communities in our community. I'm not taking a shot at that, but in the millennial kingdom, children are not going to be considered a liability. They're going to be considered an asset. And I hate that the Supreme Court's ruling on abortion or the draft ruling on abortion has been revealed, but it's about time, isn't it, that we value the unborn child in America the way people have tried to take their lives in times past. So I'd like you to think about tonight this. When you look at the elderly and when you look at the children tonight, these are not the most productive members of society. These are not the most efficient members of society but they are the valued members of society that God calls out in Zechariah chapter 8. And it just makes me wonder, does God put the same premium on efficiency that you and I do? And I've preached about that before. You know I really believe in that. But this has made me stop and think for just a few moments. Do I over-appreciate efficiency? Do I over-appreciate effectiveness? Because these are the folks that have given to society, and these are the folks that will give to society. But right now, it's just one of the primary reasons for abortion is because children are going to cost. Children are going to change the life. And so someone should have the right to terminate that baby's life, that unborn baby's life. When I discovered this week, after I heard about the ruling, that Germany's Germany, I've been to Germany quite a few times, preached in Germany. Germany's abortion laws are more conservative than America's abortion laws. And so what I'm saying here tonight is people value life sometimes more than those of us who live in the nation whose motto is, in God we trust. If God can take care of the elderly and God can take care of the children, he's going to take care of you and me. David Livingston, who's been one of my missionary heroes and I've talked about a number of times, let me read you what Livingston said. He said his greatest regret was that during the years when his family and he lived at a mission station, he did not play more with his children. He said, I worked so hard during the day, I was too tired at night to play with the kids. And he later wrote to a friend, a young missionary friend, and he urged him, take time to play with your children. He says, now, this is Livingston, I'm quoting, now I have no children to play with. And so I would encourage us tonight, let's take time for our grandchildren. Let's take time for our children. Let's value these kids. And as grandparents, we have a role that we can play there. You say, how will it be so safe and how will it be so secure in this millennial kingdom? Well, there's a little glimpse of that in the book of Revelation. You know, we've been going back and forth between the book of Revelation and Zechariah chapter 8. The Bible says in Revelation 19:15 that, that Christ will rule with an iron rod. In other words, I, I can't even foresee this happening in the millennial kingdom but one of the reasons that Satan won't have a heyday in that kingdom is because he will be bound for a thousand years and there will be no crime. There will be no uh, murder. There will be no abuse. The number one cause of child death, 
during COVID was child abuse. Child abuse rose 30% in the United States during the first six months of the COVID crisis. Now that comes from the national, the, the, the nation's uh, health.gov site, 30%. And so when you stop and think about this, this is going to be a totally different kingdom in a totally different way. But what we're seeing is what God's will is for you and I. The second thing I'd like you to see from this passage that Keith read to you tonight is God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. As a matter of fact, I think the way I wrote this is that God blesses us abundantly so we can be a blessing to others. The reason we have the blessings that we have, the reason that God has given us what he's given us is so that you and I could in turn be a conduit. You've often heard me say, if God can get it through us, God can get it to us. And I think some of the reasons that sometimes people struggle so is because when God blesses them, rather than in turn be a blessing, they consume it all upon themselves. A farmer would not farm for long if he consumed all of his seed. An investor would not have much to invest if he consumed everything. And so it's important that we understand why does God bless us? Look at Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 13. Among the other nations, Judah and Israel became symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. So don't be afraid, be strong, and get on with rebuilding the temple. I don't think this is just the will of God for the millennial kingdom. This is the will of God for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. This is what God causes. I don't believe there's been a time in history when the blood-washed, born-again church, I know there have been some instances where people have said they were the church and, you know, forced baptisms at sword point, but we can't call that the church. But people who really love God, I don't see where they've ever been a curse or where they've been looked at as a curse. But when people love Jesus and serve Jesus, they become a blessing to other people. God says that he's going to turn our fast into festivals. Last week we looked at this where there was only one national fast that was prescribed, but there were seven different festivals. However, we saw also from the word last week, there were appropriate times for fasting. We fast in response to grief. We fast in response to national crisis. We fast in response to, to sickness. We fast in response to death. But only one national fast that God prescribed, but he prescribed seven festivals. Now they came, if you remember, I told you we'd get to this this week. They came and asked a question, should we continue to keep these four fasts that we were keeping after Jerusalem had been destroyed? God gives them the answer here in Zechariah chapter 8. He said, these traditional fasts and times of mourning you have kept in early summer, midsummer, autumn, and winter are now ended. They will become festivals of joy and celebrations for the people of Judah, so love, truth, and peace. I think the application for us, for this tonight, as we look forward to the kingdom coming, as we look forward to the millennial reign of Christ, I think the application for us is, yes, there will still be times of fasting, but when we fast, it's just like when we break our 40-day fast at Easter, we celebrate, we fast, feast. We celebrate because Christ has risen. Remember, the early church would not fast on Sundays. So 
in observance of that, we don't fast during our 40-day fast. We don't fast on Sundays. Just, you know, I enjoyed a slice of chocolate cake one Sunday. I had banana pudding one Sunday during our 40-day fast. Now, we get 40 days in, but that one day we, we celebrate because Christ is risen. The church did not consider it appropriate to fast on the day that we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. But I promise you, no meal that I had during that 40-day fast came close to comparing to the meal that Becky prepared for us on Easter Sunday. Do you see what I'm saying? That was a feast. That was a festival. And so I think what the Lord is saying is, yes, there is a time for fasting, but God's going to turn our mourning into joy. There comes a time to put off the garments of heaviness and to put on the, the garments of praise. There comes a time where you suffer loss. You suffer deep loss. Maybe your husband has died or you've had a, a brother or sister to die or a child to die. And you mourn that two-year period. You just can't help it. But there comes a time where you have to lift your head up. God has left you here for a reason. God has a plan for your life. And you rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't mean you won't have times of great grief Today I talked with someone and they said, would you pray with me? Because I have memories that come back that just break my heart and they hurt. And this is a respected leader in our community. And I said, of course I'll pray with you. But I think the Lord wants you to know this as well according to what I'm preaching tonight. I know that you grieve, but it's time to lift your head up and rejoice because God always turns our sorrow into joy especially if our hearts are a place where God wants to dwell. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. And I think it's always been somewhat prophetic of Detroit that if you go right downtown, what's the motto of our city? Where the Spirit of the Lord is. Uh, you know, I long to see that restored to Detroit. Secondly, God says, not me, not a prosperity preacher. God says, he will bless us. Look at Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 15. God says in his word, I am determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah, so don't be afraid. Underline that in your outline tonight, or if you're using the app. I am determined. I don't know about you, but that really registers with me tonight. God says, I am determined. God didn't need to say that. We know that whatever God says he's going to do, he's going to do. But it's almost like he's reminding us, I am determined, I'm going to bless you. How many of you want the blessing of God tonight? Yeah. I think it's one of the few times we get 100% around here. <laughs> I am determined to bless. Now, the church hasn't replaced Israel but the church has been grafted into Israel. These promises are ours tonight. And we don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom to enjoy the blessings of God, but we are living under the blessings of God right now. I remember a couple that we met, Carmen and Jaime. That was his name, Jaime. And they were living in a cardboard shack. They crossed the line. They gave their hearts to Jesus, literally met them living in a cardboard shack crossed the lines, gave their hearts to Jesus. God delivered them from some very controlling addictions in their lives and bondages in their life. I watched through the years as God not only 
gave them employment, but I watched as one day God in an altar called him to ministry. I watched when they built their first home. I watched as their children came into this world and were blessed. Listen to me. When you make your heart and home a place that God is welcomed in, when God comes, God doesn't come with sickness. God doesn't come with poverty. God doesn't come with drought. When God comes, God always comes with abundance. And he blesses and he touches our lives. And he says, I'm determined to bless. But there has to be a reason that he says, don't be afraid. And I think there are things in all of our lives that cause us fear. I think there are things in all of our lives that cause us, like the man today who talked with me, that cause us to worry and to have concerns. So what does he say next? He reminds us nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. This afternoon, as I was getting ready to leave the district council, our former district superintendent's wife walked up to me, and she, she looked at me, and she says, how is your health? I said, as far as I know, it's really good. And she says, your story is amazing. And at their invitation, I have gone to several places and shared my story and what God has done in my life. And we talked for a few minutes, and, and I walked out, and, but these words were said, no one would ever look at you and believe that you've had over 40 major surgeries. No one would ever look at you and believe what has happened in your life. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. And when you're told over and over that this is going to happen or you're going to die or this is going to happen or when you're told, you know, it's, it's when my surgeon retired and he said, look, you just don't exist. There's no way to explain you. And when I first met him, he just told me he didn't believe in miracles. And that was Dr. Terrigula. One of the nurses in our church actually used to work for Dr. Terrigula. I was speaking at another church recently, and this nurse had worked for Dr. Terrigula. And they came and says, you'll never know what your life did in his life. She came up one night and sat in the room with me when I was in the hospital. And she says, God's doing something in his life. He's always been somewhat, this was their words, mean. And I told him that, you know. I says, you know, what's God doing? Listen, nothing is impossible for God. When God lets us pass, now here's the balance. When God lets us pass through a time of poverty, when God lets us pass through a time of drought, when God lets us pass through a time of persecution, when God lets us pass through any of those difficult, challenging times, if we will not let go of our faith and remember that God is determined to bless us, we will see the impossible happen. And when I contemplate these folks in our world that are literally giving their lives rather than denying Jesus Christ, and you ask, if you, if you take this to the extreme, and you go, well, if God is determined to bless, why do they die a martyr's death? I'm going to tell you something. They're going to be so close to the throne of God. They immediately went into the presence of Jesus. Nobody, nobody who ever gave their hearts to Christ and died for Christ will not arrive in heaven and say, I'm blessed. As far as we know, all the apostles except for John died a horrendous death. Impaled, burned alive, beheaded, tortured for their faith. They all died in faith, but God was determined to bless them. 
And part of the blessing is that you and I are here tonight. Look at what the scripture says. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people, but is it impossible for me, says the Lord of Heaven's armies? So ask yourself a question. What is it that you're faced with as a challenge tonight? What is it you're faced with that's maybe came up while I'm talking, and I know how the enemy works sometimes. You'll hear this, and you've got a question that comes up in your mind. You say, Pastor, how do you know that question? Because I hear it every week. Somebody will come up and says, you know, you were talking about this, but what about this, or why am I going through this? God wants to ask you this question. Is anything impossible for God? So let me go back to the first of the message, because I've got to wrap this up for our Q&A time tonight. Think about this. The society that is close to God values the elderly and the children. The society that reveals what God is like is a society that is not necessarily valuing efficiency. For efficiency says we should do away with the elderly. Efficiency says if a child is going to keep you from being as prosperous and productive as you can, we should maybe terminate that child's life. But a society that loves God and is close to God welcomes the children and the elderly. And when he begins to describe this kingdom, he doesn't talk about his throne, doesn't talk about his majesty, but he says the elderly are walking in the streets with their canes, they're sitting in the city squares, and they're listening to the children. And remember that Hebrew word is laugh. They're listening to their children laugh and play. You see... We know whom God wants to bless by the way they value those that are most vulnerable among us. And so when we think about this, we don't just apply it to children and elderly, but who do we know that are vulnerable? God can accomplish the impossible with you and I. Look at this. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Next week, I'm going to wrap this up and give you the growth for it for how we can apply this in our lives. But I love you. I'm so glad you joined us tonight on this Wednesday evening. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to email us right here at woodland.church. We'd love to get your messages. I get some every week from folks. And maybe sometime you want to come out and just join us here on campus because we have about a 30-minute Q&A session right after this. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us this evening.